Welcome to the Multidimensional Evolution Podcast. I am your host, Kim McCall. If you want to find out more about life beyond the physical dimension, this is the place to be. We will be having conversations to expand your consciousness and help you reconnect with your essential self. But given the subject matters a request, don't believe in anything, including what is shared here. Experiment, have your own experiences, and always use discernment. This is episode 5, where I'm talking with Linda Allen. Linda is not your typical guest. She has not written any books, nor does she run any courses. She lives a quiet life in the French countryside, with animals and family. And yet, her story is one of the most extraordinary I'm likely to be able to bring to you. Linda is one of the three teachers I discuss in my book, the only one still in this dimension. Only, when I met her 25 years ago, she was not called Linda, but Leia. And she was, in fact, a different person, but in the same body. Because Leia was a walk-in. That is a consciousness who comes into an already mature human body and uses it instead of the original occupant. This original occupant had been Linda. Leia had a very big influence on my understanding of multidimensional life, but I had never met Linda until a few years ago. Sometime before that, she had come back to see the rest of her body's life out in this dimension. So Leia had left and Linda had come back in. Pretty wild, right? In addition, Linda is no ordinary consciousness, but by her own account, in her final physical life. That is another rare claim. And as you know, the spirit here is not to believe any claims, so I encourage you to listen with discernment, with your heart, and with your energy antennas, as we talk walk-in and the very evolution of consciousness on this planet and beyond. Enjoy. Hi, Linda. It's so great for you to come onto this show. I'm really happy and excited about this interview. Yes, hello, Kim. Well, uh, let's hope that I can help people out there, give them something to think about. Uh, I'm pretty sure you will. And I, I guess the whole scenario of your, your whole situation, really, I know it gave me lots to think about. And... You know, you're one of the one, one thing that I'm really happy about being able to have you on the show is that of the three main people I talk about in my book, you're the only person left in the physical dimension for me to talk to at this stage. And even in my book, I kind of give a special, I guess, a special little intro to the, your story, which is really to encourage people not to believe anything I say and not to believe the story because when I first heard that story I know I found it really hard to believe yep but no I, I totally understand that um to, to be honest if I'd been told all of the things that I know now prior to remembering um the course that I'm on and knowing the things I know now I probably would have also sort of said to somebody, uh, quickly get, you know, this lady into a padded cell and throw the key away. So <laughs> I think all you can do is, is just have an open mind. Um, and free will is everybody's choice to believe what they want to believe. 
I can only answer the questions um, truthfully as I understand the truth. So everybody else can make up their own mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's really the spirit of, of this program. And so when I met you, it wasn't actually you I met. So no. you, the person I met had walked into your body and was described herself as a walk-in. And so that whole situation, I guess that's what I would like to start with. You explaining, you know, what happened, what, is, what does it mean for someone to be a walk-in and, and how come you are back? Okay. Oh, a uh, multitude of questions there. Um, taking the first one, um, there can be actually several types of walking, some who uh, are shared walking. So the person who originally came into the body, i.e. at birth, will share a space with another soul. Um, we are talking about on this occasion um, permission. So in other words, the other soul gives permission for that soul to share. A bit like channeling, really, um, so that the original soul will move over and let the other soul take the front running, so to speak. In my instance, I actually chose to leave my body as you would on death. Mm. Uh, the silver cord on my behalf was cut. And the new soul that had been chosen was put into the body to take over the body with the course of events and tasks that it had to undertake. And um, just that, that first scenario that you described, I hadn't thought about it like that before. You were saying that essentially uh, one person is born into a body one, mm -hmm. one consciousness, mm -hmm. then another consciousness comes in almost permanently. Is that what you were saying with that first? Um, no, it's, it can be. Um, let's take the course of channeling, for instance. You mm -hmm. can have um, soul friends who look after you and guides, but you can also have people who have the ability to channel. Now, in order to channel, you have to move your own consciousness over, out yes. of the way, so that the other entity can then come into your body. Sometimes um, the original person can hear what is being said and done, but other times you, in effect, kind of take a sleep, so you won't necessarily always have heard what is being said and done. Um, example... Uh, with Leia, she had, she was a brand new soul. She really hadn't been anywhere before, which in itself is a very unusual event. Most people will have had many incarnations. She hadn't. She, mm -hmm. What she had learned, she had learned in spirit. But she did have um, a highly evolved group of individuals known as the boardroom who helped look after her, particularly in the early days. Uh, you had somebody who could cook, somebody who could um, drive a car, somebody who knew how to look after the animals, the horses, that kind of thing. And she would step aside but still be fully conscious so that she was actually learning from them so that it reached a point that she could cook for herself, she could drive for herself, she could ride a horse for herself and so on. 
So she, she basically, I guess we should just clarify, Leia was the consciousness that came and took over your body. Yes. And, and so you're saying that there was, on the one hand, people in the physical dimension who assisted her with the driving and the cooking and those things. And no, no, no. They were, in, they were spiritual beings. Okay, they were all non-physical. That yes, they were all non-physical. In. Yes, they would all come in temporarily and, and while she had to drive, someone else would yes. control yes. the body. Yes. Okay, and teach um, her at the same time. And teach her at the same time, absolutely. So that ultimately she did learn how to do all these things for herself. However, she did have um, a group of physical friends who knew that this was going to happen prior to the event um, because there was a kind of a changeover where, in effect, the body died mm. for my soul to leave and for her energy, her soul, then to enter the body. Um, and obviously I can't name names because of privacy rights for those people, but there was one person, um, a doctor who helped make sure that there was a cylinder of oxygen so the brain didn't become deprived of oxygen, uh, so there wasn't brain damage, mm -hmm. and uh, a network of physical friends who physically helped look after the body in the early stages of it learning. She hadn't been anywhere before. She didn't know what it was to have a physical body, how to even use it. One of the things that she used to experience, um, which I know has been said to me, even a simple thing of putting something like makeup on, um, because she didn't know how to even focus her eyes to begin with, she, she could only see things in their raw state, i.e. in atoms. Um, so literally, she had to learn like a baby would learn. But very quickly. Very quickly. Because mm -hmm. she was in a grown woman's body. Absolutely. Is, how old was the body when, when Leia came in? 32. And why did this happen? Why did, what was the benefit of bringing this consciousness that had never had a life here or on any other planet into this because, physical Because, yep, no, I understand. Um, because it doesn't matter how pure or how objective you like to make yourself or try to make yourself, if you've been incarnate numerous times to have reached this point of evolution, you are going to have your own human traits, your own human likes, your own memories, and really, at the end of the day, your own human hang-ups. Um, this is quite where a lot of people's phobias come from, because maybe somebody in a past life threw you over a bridge or something so you're going to have a fear of falling or water the soul had to be as pure as it possibly could be so that there was no point of corruption for what she had to do and are you able to talk a bit about what it was that she had to do while she was here um some of the things um i can explain but without actually giving names as such um she was helped a lot by um, a lot of a lot of influential groups. Let's put it like that, who enabled her to travel the world, um, to go to places um, like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, America, and meet with a lot of influential people. Um, 
so she was kind of to say attacking it is the wrong word but to work on the project from the human point of view to see people that maybe others weren't allowed to see and the only reason she got into these areas was because of these societies who were backing her both physically but also financially and with their contacts and what was the purpose of going to these places and talking to these people? Um, whether they realized they're ultimately spiritual advancement, both for the human beings, but also for the world. Uh, it's just coming into fruition now with climate change, uh, people becoming so aware of everything that's going on, um, and advancement in seeing the next step on coming into the age of Aquarius and actually seeing that next step on and opening people and touching people in the right way that would then be spiritually open to everything that has to come and will continue to come in the next decades before us. Her work has already been done regardless of what story she then took afterwards. She literally had three years of working and in that time she met a lot of people which had been predestined for her to meet. And that was then put into place. Um, and I'm talking about back from 1992 to 1995. Mm, I see. And it was like she, she sowed seeds for changes to come in the future. Totally, totally. As I say, this is why, you know, what I'm saying, it sounds really out there. Um, obviously everybody can make up their own mind yep. as to <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and i mean for you so if i imagine myself learning that basically okay i'm i have to i mean i have to die now so someone else can come into my body um i, I guess that choice is not one that many people would readily make so what was how did your awareness come about i i understand that for the first 20 odd years of your life you didn't have any expectation that this would happen um, um how did that play out for you yeah uh to say i i didn't understand for the first 20 years of my life no i didn't however i could see spirit from the age of two and the only reason that i know that is because how, people would say well how on earth can you remember things from your two but the one of the most vivid memories I can possibly have and it's almost as though it's happened a few days ago I was I a little girl of two um I'd had had a nice warm bath I got into my bar into my bed I had I can remember I had um a little Barbie doll or something like that and I I can remember opening my eyes just as I was about to get ready to go to sleep and I saw this man kneeling by the side of my bed and he looked as solid as a person because as a little girl I thought to myself oh no it's a burglar do I call out for my mum do I hit him with my doll or shall I go to sleep and pretend he's not there <laughs> <laughs> and as a little girl who was all comfort and comfy, comfy and warm I fell asleep yeah. <laughs> So consequently, in the morning, um, he wasn't there. And I, I described 
totally what this man looked like. Um, I can remember him kneeling by the side of my bed in, do you remember the Sandyman Paul ads with the, the, the coat and the hood and the, the big brimmed hat? That's no. exactly what he looked like anyway. Um, and I described this person to my mum and she just said, oh, you know, you, you were obviously partly asleep and you just dreamt it, darling. Don't worry about it. As, you know, maybe I did. Um, but I'm convinced that that was my first time I saw a spirit. And then throughout my, my life up till hmm, probably the age of about 14, I had many, many incidences where I saw spirit of varying types and used to have generally good conversations with them. And um, they would tell me stuff and I would learn things. And I can always kind of remember, even at the age of eight, sitting on the stairs, talking to myself as an adult and remembering past incarnations. So although one half of me didn't understand my full path, I did know about spirit and I did understand about the other side of the story, so to speak. Mm. And it's still then quite a big, there must have been some quite big developments to get to a place where you were comfortable to leave your body and replace and let someone else take over. Um, yes. Uh, I think to give a, a little bit of um, background history to it, um, I was very anti-conventional religion of any kind. When I went uh, through the schooling, I refused to learn about the Bible. I refused to go to religious education classes. It just felt very wrong for me to do that. I just wouldn't do it to the point that um, <laughs> I even used to say to my poor mum, bless her heart, you know, oh, you're not watching that, that rubbish when it was something like stars on Sunday, you know, bless her. Um, but... It got to now a lot of people say that they they kind of have these epiphanies when they've been in problems or they've had a shock or something like that. But life actually was treating me very well at that point. I was um, happily married. I had uh, a reasonably good career. There were no money worries, anything like that. And literally just one day, it was as if the Bible and all the other information had kind of been thrown into my head and I suddenly was getting all these past incarnations coming through um, and I just needed answers. So that kind of was the day of the epiphany of when everything started happening. Mm. Um, I was even talking in Sorry. Yeah. everything. <laughs> it wasn't something you'd sought, you hadn't started meditating or, or gone? No. Yeah. No, no, nothing at all. Because th this is the point where a lot of people say, you know, or, you know, had you had some kind of near death experience or something? No, it was, I was just a, a standard um, semi, you know, a, a suburban housewife. I had, um, I didn't have my, any children at that point. Um, and it just kind of all happened one day. And I, I can remember turning around and asking questions for people. Uh, and they were sort of saying, well, 
we don't know the questions you're asking. They're far in depth. And I can remember actually driving. I didn't even know about spiritual churches at that point um, or anything like that because I had kept away from all kinds of religions. And I can literally just remember driving down a road and I had this urge to stop and um, walk down this pathway. Now, if you hadn't have known that this spiritual church was down this pathway, you wouldn't necessarily have even seen it being there because it was literally down um, a small alleyway between houses and it opened up into a sort of a large area at the back. Mm. And I can remember having parked up the car, walking down there um, into what to all intents and purposes to me was a um, church meeting. Um, and I'm like, why Why have I come down here? I really don't want to be here. I don't like any of this sort of stuff. Why? <laughs> but I just sat down quietly at the back and I can remember this amazing man who was taking the meeting, um, doing the mediumship work. And he kept looking over to me, but he'd never came to me once. He, Some of the information he was giving to other people was very profound. And it wasn't just a few things where people were sort of saying, oh, I've got someone who I think it's their birthday. He was giving people facts, figures, dates. Mm. And at the end of the meeting, the chap actually came to me um, and I thought, oh, hello, <laughs> what's going on here? And he actually um, produced out of his wallet a piece of newspaper cutting which had the date on it and on the back of it was written the date and one name, just my first name, that I would be going in there. And he said, this is to prove to you, and it was a 20-year-old piece of paper, newspaper, that I'm here to mentor you. And it was, wow. And it just kind of went on from that point. That sounds like quite a mentor to find. Yeah, he, he was a very special man, very special um he literally like most things the green-eyed monster can come out in people sadly um particularly what is the where monster? uh jealousy mm. where um i'd done nothing and in those days i was in my my 20s and you had people who'd been working in the spiritual movement for sort of like 30 years plus and they couldn't understand why my mentor, who himself was in his 70s at the time, was kind of taking this young girl under his wing and letting her literally run the show. <laughs> mm. um, and I would do healings and things like that. And you're supposed to actually work your way up to doing that kind of thing. You're supposed to go through um, the Federation of Healers and all that sort of thing. And I didn't. I just used to go out there and do the healing with obviously his guidance and so on. Um, and then gradually as time went on, I started to remember more and more of my own past incarnations. Um, and some of the, well, wondrous things that happened, which I'm very grateful for, for allowing spirit to use me in that way. It would take more than just, this interview to go through it all but needless to say it was that course of events that 
finally taught me what I was here for, what it was all about, and yeah. got me ready. Yeah. Well, and and one of the things that I do want to turn to shortly is the fact that you, you know, you say you're in really your last life on this on this in this dimension, and mm-hmm. that that suggests that you already had worked your way up, right? Even if you didn't work your way up at that moment in that church order, but to get to that point, uh, you would have worked your way up across many lifetimes. Yes. Yep. Many, many lifetimes, um, both here on the earth plane, but also on the other side of what I would call the curtain, i.e. in spirit, but also on other planets and other dimensions. Mm. I remember that now. Um, I don't know. I was going to say I'm lucky enough to remember. Sometimes it's not always lucky because sometimes you don't want to remember. But no, it's... um. Yeah, I can remember my incarnations. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, a little bit on. Let's just finish the the bit about the walk-in. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it came to the point the body the body had to die temporarily, so you could leave. Yes. Um, Leia came in and she did what she had to do. Can you tell us why you're back and how that came about? Oh, right. Okay. Um, after the three years of her her working, which had already been prearranged with meetings and so on, by this time, with the help of the the boardroom who had helped her learn how to, in effect, become a young a young person. Um, although the body was obviously by this point 35, in many ways she was still a child, albeit that obviously she had learned things much, much faster by the very nature of the experiment and the ongoing things that she was learning day by day. When she first came through, you've got to understand that she had no concept of human emotions and that was partly because again keeping the purity of the vessel so she didn't know about anger she didn't know about jealousy she didn't understand about human love um she didn't understand about fear and all that sort of thing Mm. and she started to question as children do what would it be like to to feel some of these emotions and as she started to feel these emotions she then started to realize that she was coming to potentially the end of her existence and she asked if she could learn what it would be like to be a human to get feelings and to in effect, just have a, a relatively ordinary human life. Um, there was some of the boardroom who was happy to let her have her own free will and to start experiencing the emotions. And there was others who thought it probably wouldn't be necessarily a good idea mm. because of the fact that she hadn't been, in effect, made ready by going through different incarnations to reach that point in time. 
Could we just briefly explain what or who the boardroom is? Um, right. Uh, with each spiritual realm, and I'll talk about obviously the one that we're all living in at the moment, which is what we class as the solar system of Earth, i.e. moon and it's, well, the moon is one of seven planets. So this is a, the the system I'm talking about. The, the Earth, you mean, is one of seven planets? Yes. Well, the, this solar system I'm talking about, I'm not talking about beyond the galaxy, beyond Milky Way and so on. I'm just talking about this particular realm right now. Yep. You have, as each person has a guardian or guardians, um, you can have more than one, then the planets also have protectors. And it's kind of like a network. And the boardroom are the protectors and guardians ultimately responsible for what we would class as this solar system. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about from a spiritual point of view. You've got many references to them throughout history, um, through many different religions and cults. With the, with the Norsemen, the Vikings believing of Thor, you have Isis with the Egyptians, obviously you've got the Christian movements and so on. But ultimately we're talking about an energy of souls that help to look after this solar system. Yeah. Yep. And known to us as the different gods and so on. Yes. Yeah, obviously yeah. every different different area has their own names and titles and so on and beliefs. And so this this boardroom was essentially managing the project of Leia coming into your body and so on. Yes, yes. For the help of the evolution of the spiritual souls here, and I don't mean just the human souls, I mean all those sentient beings on this planet. Yeah. Okay, so the boardroom basically deliberated whether Leia could stay longer in the body. Mm -hmm. um, the outcome was that she, she was able to spend some more time. And then mm -hmm. how, did it, how did it continue from then on? Um, well, like all children, um, she grew, she learned, she made mistakes, she got some things right. But over a period of, well, um, she finally passed um, in the year of 2012. So she'd been here from 92 to 2012. But okay. it, it got to the point in the end where some of the human emotions she just could not, she could not understand. Her soul had never been anywhere or done anything. So it reached the point where it just really the earth although very beautiful in so so many ways and there are some wonderful souls out there it can also be a very dark place and a very painful place and it got too much for her in the end um and she literally didn't want to stay anymore it was simple as that however by that point she had kind of created a situation that couldn't be just abandoned for other members, both four-legged and two-legged, which 
on this occasion, I'm not going to go into names. So her kind of life that she had put together, her package, couldn't just be abandoned because of the fact that it was allowed to happen in the first place. Mm. So in effect, somebody had to come in and hold the reins of the experiment. It was allowed to happen, so it had to be looked after, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. Yeah. There was a still a responsibility to be somebody had to be responsible. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. With with every action creates a reaction which must then be adhered to and taken responsibility for. And so then you volunteered or you were volunteered? uh... (laughs) Yeah, um, it's a bit like volunteering in the army. Right, everybody take one step back. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear. Well, you're standing at the front now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Although, yes, okay, I'm making light of it, but there were were exceptions to the rule, i.e., only a few members of the boardroom were in the position where they could actually come back into a physical existence. Some have gone beyond a point where a human body would be able to contain them. Plus the, the situation and the course of events, which would come up in the future would also have to be dealt with in a certain way. Plus also this poor old body had already been inflicted with one soul. So to put a completely brand new soul back into it again, it probably wouldn't have worked. It would have rejected it, but like a, uh, an organ plant rejection. Yes. 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 You were familiar. You had a, you brought a familiar energy for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause that really was um, something that Leia, um, I know experienced during the time she was here, not so much towards the end, but particularly in the early days that every time she went to sleep, the body in effect tried to kick her out right. because it, it's a bit like saying, well, I don't know who you are um, <laughs> to the extent that um, I will give you one example. I had had um, a very close bond with a horse. Um, it was, it was my own horse and when Leia tried to get onto the horse, even though to intents and purposes it was a totally same body, the horse would not let her ride him. So much so that in the end, she actually had to um, let the horse go to somebody else because she just could not get onto the horse. He wouldn't let her. Mm. It was probably very confusing for the horse because... Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Animals, um, particularly... Um, as well as young children and so on, before before we build up that uh, barrier around ourselves, we'll see spirit. And that's why quite often, you know, you, you can be sitting um, in a room and your dog will look up or your cat will look up. And if you're lucky enough to be able to see spirit, you can see that they're looking directly at that spirit. Um, yep. And the same with children. Um they don't know. It's like with spiritual healing. Uh, sorry, I'm digressing a bit, but trying to explain a little. When you're healing, yes, a lot of people will say, well, it's a kind of like a, a placebo effect. Um, yes, the mind over matter is a very powerful thing and will help. 
But if you're giving healing to a very young child or to an animal, that animal doesn't know it's got to make itself better because that's what you're telling it. It just accepts the healing energy that you're giving it through spirit. Mm. Yeah, they're much more open. There's not... Very much. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think I'll change tack a little bit now. Um, and I'd like to ask a few questions of you about mm -hmm. knowledge that you bring with yourself from your lives and, and from the fact that I was, I was thinking about this today. There's always people, people regularly say, well, we don't really know, you know, what happens after we die. And it's really not true because there's a lot of information from people who've had near death experiences, people who've had out of body experiences. There's many, many reports through mediums, but it's probably pretty unique to have someone who's in this lifetime left for a prolonged period of time and then come back. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely in a, in a, in a unique position, um, you know, for all kinds of information. Mm -hmm. But, um, a number of these questions I'd like to ask are inspired from a book by Valdo Vieira. Um, in his book, 700 Conscienciology Experiments, he, he has one chapter where he proposes questions one could ask when meeting a person who's here for their, one of their last lives. And okay. um, as you are such a person, I thought I would ask you some of those questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. So the first one is really one of those uh, questions of the answer to everything in a way, and that is what, how do you understand the primal cause of the universe? Oh, from a physical point of view, a spiritual point of view, or an evolutionary point of view? From a, well, I don't know how you see the distinction. I thought, I suppose I was assuming from a spiritual point of view, which I assume is somehow reflected in the physical. Um, okay. We can learn in spirit. Um, we don't actually have to be incarnate into a physical realm because there are so many different dimensions. However, to actually experience certain things, it has been discovered that the best way to do that is to actually put somebody into a physical dimension, be that in a two-legged form, a four-legged form, um, a marine form or even um, in a gaseous form there are only certain ways you can learn certain things to a point of evolution that can then not only help you but your your soul family to evolve spiritually after all at the end of the day that's what we're all striving for whether we are consciously aware of it or not and that is to regain that spiritual evolutionary point where we can be one with the ultimate energy. Has that answered the question? And so, well, <laughs> I feel it's leading there because so, so the question was the primal cause of the universe. What is the primal cause of it? And you mentioned the ultimate energy. So I'm assuming there's some relationship between an ultimate energy 
and the, the, the cause of everything. Um, yes, but are you actually asking me um, what actually created this solar system that we're in now? Yes. Or and why not just, was it created? Not just the solar system, but uh, everything, really. Um, okay. Have you ever actually, uh, you, you know, the sort of like the executive toy where you have the the balls on the strings and you, you pull one back and it hits the other one and then you've got the constant thing of it going backwards and yes. forwards. Yes. Right. Well, you will have cause and effect. You're actually almost asking me the question of which came first, the chicken or the egg? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> there is no answer because it is a continual circle. It is the symbol of affinity. Where do you create a point of end when there is no end? Yeah. And so in that case, we then bring it down to the more immediate, which is, I think, where you were going, which is the physical universe. And that was created for a particular purpose as mm -hmm. part of evolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you said there's there certain things that we can only learn in a physical dimension or learn best, perhaps, in the physical. Yeah, learn best. Not necessarily only learn in the physical, but learn in that particular way. Um, what sort of things did you have in mind? Uh, there are many forms of love, but when we think of love automatically we tend to think of human love in the concept of love between a mother and her child love between lovers love between siblings between um your father and so on but we are we're trying to understand all the conscious levels of it until you reach the point of in, in this day and age where we have so many distractions of people wanting self-gain and wanting to look after themselves in a physical sense, which, yes, we're in a physical body. We need, obviously, to make sure that that engine, that vehicle that we're using is being looked after to its best ability. And sometimes to actually be selfless in a world where we're surrounded by distractions. It's easy to try and make yourself spiritually advanced when you have no distractions, when you have no pain, when you have no worries or bills or illness or where the next meal is coming from um, and so on. Yes. To learn when you have all those distractions and still be spiritually advanced and to be empathic when you yourself may be in pain but still be empathic of somebody else's pain they are things that you can only really understand in a physical format when you have physical pain when you have physical love um when you have physical worry you know, I, I've noticed particularly nowadays, um, obviously I had a huge gap where I wasn't on the earth plane. People have always been fascinated by horror, 
in as much horror stories, horror films, scaring themselves with, yes. um, you know, the the parks that give you the rides up and down and all this sort of thing. I think that some of the most scariest things of all, though, in this lifetime is to actually try and make sure that you are providing for your loved ones. That to understand what it is to think to yourself, I've got to make sure that there's money coming in to pay for the next bill. In many ways, that's more scary than any horror film. And to actually get past of all those feelings and emotions, it's easy to be giving and spiritual when life is going well for you. But some of the most loving and giving people out there can often be those who have nothing. You often see people on the street, beggars, who understand more about giving than people who have everything. Mm. And these are the emotions and experiences that are unique to this solar system makes me think of the climate change issue and how much it seems to be worrying people across the world now. Mm-hmm. Um, in that context that you describe, it's almost sounding like that kind of scenario is, is in a sense, perfect to push our evolution forward. Very much so. Very much so. Um, you know, at the moment there are so many seemingly bad things, dark things going on in the world. But also there are some amazing, wondrous things starting to happen as well, where you've reached the point where people are saying, right, enough is enough. We're not going to not let our voices be heard now. We are destroying the planet that we're living on, not just for our lifetime, but for our children's and grandchildren's lifetimes. And some of the most powerful people are little people. You know, you've, I can't even think of her name at the moment, um, but you've got that young 14-year-old Swedish girl. Yes. Um, who, Greta. Yep, who literally, she started her own little blog two years ago, and she's now got thousands of people following her. Mm. Um, and she is just but one simple example of how wonderful we can be when we choose to allow our spiritual selves to start to evolve. Because we're not just trying to save the planet for ourselves. We are starting to recognize that there are other sentient beings on this planet. Um, Science is starting to prove the fact that, you know, you've got a dolphin whose brain is four times the size of ours. And they say it's not just the size, it's how its electronic impulses work. And they've already proved that they work in a far superior way to a human's brain. And the same with whales, sperm whales, blue whales, and so on. Mm. These are all sentient beings that live and share this planet that we're fighting for. And every time you send some conscious evolutionary soul energy, good thoughts, um, if you want for another word, into that consciousness that is all around us, that is the next step on our spiritual path. 
And we're helping each other far more than we realize by just speaking out about global warming. It's because we care. Those people care. And so generating and that sentiment, yes, mm. generating that energy, that sentiment of caring and compassion in itself is a value. Absolutely. Absolutely. To be one of the most important things is, is that regardless of how you choose to, to follow the ultimate spiritual energy, how you choose to call them or how you understand it, to be empathic to your fellow, I was going to say fellow man, but to your fellow being, whether that's an animal, a person, whatever, that has got to be the most important thing of all. Because if you are being empathic to other people's feelings and emotions, then that is your spiritual evolution. It can be something as simple as turning around and giving somebody a smile one day when you see that they're obviously down and being aware of other people's body language as well is another very good one. If you can judge from their own body language how they're feeling, you may never even see that person ever again, but you don't know that one smile might lift that person up more than you would ever realize. Yeah, and it's really, from that approach, it really doesn't matter what... Uh pathway for spiritual growth you know what religion what what belief system we follow whether we believe in in a god or we don't you know whether we're atheists as long as we have that that uh, compassion i guess totally it free will is one of the most complex scenarios on this earth plane both both on this side and the other because even the highest spiritually evolved beings have to respect another's free will. Whether they believe that it is right or not, you still have to respect that individual's free will. It doesn't mean to say that, obviously, if somebody was coming at you with a knife, that you wouldn't stop them. But again, it's how you choose to stop that event happening. Mm. Everybody is free to believe as they choose to believe. It's only when somebody else tries to enforce that belief onto another, then we're starting to go into grey territory that isn't necessarily right. Yeah. And um, I was wondering, you know, we talked a bit about different energies that people put out and, Basically, we know that this whole planet has seen wars and famine and different things happen, traumatic things happen. Some people, it's becoming more, I think people are becoming more aware and there's more talk of really the global population being essentially a traumatized population. Mm -hmm. But I, I was wondering whether you know whether there's any areas of this planet that are less affected by those kinds of energies you know any any pockets maybe even for a reason that there's pockets where um there is a, a i guess more uplifting energy that's dominant um interestingly enough i i gave that question some thought when you mentioned it before but it comes back to 
something that I've already said, that you can actually create your own pockets of spiritual protection mm. and contentment throughout history. And I'm again, I'm not saying whether it was right or wrong of them to do it because it was their choice. But you, you've had a lot of um, movements where they've kind of said, right, well, we're going to take ourselves out of society. We're going to spend our lives in silent orders or we're going to spend our time um, meditating or doing, you know, highly advanced spiritual things and shut ourselves away from the world. That isn't the answer. We are on this planet. We chose to come into this world whether people can remember doing it or not, every single soul that is on this planet right now, in whatever shape or form, have pre-chosen to come into this planet, into this body at this time. And you have chosen to learn a set of lessons that were predetermined before you were reincarnated. So to shut yourself away is not the answer. If you can be still and content in the middle of a crowd of people, then you can find spiritual advancement wherever you are. Hmm. Could it be that someone came here with the intention to lock themselves away, you know, and be a recluse? Or do you think that would generally represent some sort of deviation from their actual purpose? No, not necessarily deviation. Um, it, can, it can kind of be classed as a, a timeout in a way, but <laughs> they may be um, learning something that other people might, might not necessarily understand. They may be learning how to deal with solitude. Mm. They may be learning how to overcome a fear of being alone. There are many, many things which obviously can only be taken as a, an individual. You can't sort of say this affects everybody or that affects that particular group. Each person, each being is very much on their own path of spiritual evolution, of learning. So it would be very difficult to say specifically yes to one thing without knowing that particularly particular individual's set of lessons. We all have a set of lessons that we choose to learn. And how we choose to learn them, sometimes it can be a very difficult route, sometimes it can be somewhere in the middle, or sometimes it can be a comparatively comfy route. If you've had many incarnations where you've had to fight and you've had to work hard you can have a time out you can have a comfy life people think to themselves well you know you look around you think oh they seem to be getting the luck of the you know luck of whatever yeah but even having said that to actually have what would seem to be a very prosperous and happy life how you then deal with others while you yourself are going through a prosperous life you know you've got some particularly famous actors out there at the moment um, who have made millions and they have also 
selflessly given millions back to numerous charities. Keanu Reeves um, often gets mentioned exactly. in that context. Yes. Exactly, yeah. I wasn't going to name names, but yeah, very much so. Um, and they do it not to get themselves out there because nine times out of ten, these people don't want the publicity that goes yeah. with the giving. But they are putting back. And again, it's all part of the lessons. Yeah, and speaking of lessons, I, I was going to ask you, what were your, if you can talk about it like that, what were the most recent traits or lessons that you completed oh. <laughs> to be able to now end this cycle of life? Oh, um, oh gosh. <laughs> um, mm, that's difficult to put into actual words. To find a point of total stillness and a, a point where mm, it's very difficult to explain in human terminology. You've heard the old expression when all those around you um, are losing their heads and you hold on to yours. It's kind of finding that inner voice that no matter what scenario is thrown at you, you have such, yes, I will use the word, you have such faith and belief in what comes next that you're not afraid. And I know people are going to turn around and say, oh, well, that's easy to say, but maybe I haven't, I haven't been in a war scenario or maybe I haven't had, you know, somebody holding a knife to my throat. Mm. Well, to both of those things I have in this lifetime. And you learn things of yourself. And you also remember that to reach this point, we are all good and we are all bad. We have all been a murderer at some point in a life, whether it's as a soldier who's had to obey, whether it's something as far back in evolution. You know, you've got the Dark Ages. They weren't called the Dark Ages because it was dark. <laughs> <laughs> you know we've all been there we've all done some pretty horrendous things um yeah. maybe at the time in the beliefs of the way we were brought up it was what we were trained to be and what we were trained to do so we've all been there um and anybody who believes that they haven't then they're still learning maybe they haven't quite been able to look deep enough or see no that exactly. part because this is one of the reasons why, to a certain extent, we, majority of people, I'm not saying that everybody, because obviously some people can remember their past incarnations, um, but most people to remember in depth their past incarnations, it would be very hard. Sometimes, even for myself, I think back, you know, if, if I haven't got money to pay a bill one month or something, and I think, oh, Wish I could remember what I, where I buried those riches that, that year. <laughs> you know, oh, no, there's a building been put on it. That's no good. <laughs> you know, um, and you can, so you can remember when you've been a king. You can remember when you, you've been a pauper. And sometimes, you know, you think to yourself, hmm, okay. But the greatest parable comes from the stillness that no matter who you are, where you are, or what you're doing, you learn that you don't need any more. You have enough 
to share that and to share empathy with all of those around you as often as you can and yet still deal with everyday situations and ultimately not be afraid to take that next step into what many of us consider the unknown because I believe to the very core of my being that I know where I will be going when this body ceases to exist. Mm. Well, and you've just been there quite recently. Exactly. And I'm not saying that I'm in a hurry to return. I'm quite happy to just tick along here because I know that I'm here and there are certain things I've got to do before the body expires. Um, so I'm looking after it to the best of my ability. Yeah, you're at peace. You're at peace here and you're at peace at the, on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. But we might be having a few conversations when I get to the other side. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> you didn't tell me I'd be doing that one. <laughs> so, yes, we might be having a few um, lively conversations. <laughs> but, um, no, just in aside, yes, it's, it's finding a point where whatever life can throw at you, and this might sound very arrogant, I would overcome it. And that's while anybody's listening up there. I'm not asking for you to throw anything else at me. Thank you very much. I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. <laughs> um, but knowing that if I had to, I could. Yeah. Whether I would want to, but I could. <laughs> and so across all your lifetimes, um, you would have had male and female bodies. Mm -hmm. Did you find that there was any difference between that in terms of your <laughs> evolutionary process? I know obviously there are certain differences, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of your, your manifestation as a, as a soul or a consciousness, you know, what, uh, I don't know, are there different lessons to be learned in, in one or the yes. other? Yes, right. Um, again, unfortunately, this isn't just a, um, it's, it's more to do with the fact that, um, this is quite interesting, the fact that I'm in a female body speaking to a male. <laughs> but um, whether people realize it or not, areas, spiritual areas, and obviously I can only talk about the earth zone at the moment, have vibrations. Sometimes they have more leanings towards being masculine. Sometimes they have leanings to be more feminine. And we are in a zone that would be classed as feminine. Um, I think this is why a lot of the time people associate going back to ancient Egyptians with Isis, the Isis energy and so on. So it can make an effect on how you learn whether you're in a female body or male body. But again, having said that, um, I've known some very spiritually advanced men and equally spiritually advanced females, but equally I've known some women who can be very cold and hard and equally with men. I personally, I would say my percentage is actually quite close. Again, I think that is to do with your spiritual evolution. It's finding the balance. My balance would be around 55% female uh, incarnations and the others obviously male. 
And I would say I have probably learned more as a female, particularly obviously of late. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's been some pretty powerful ones also as males. Sometimes as people with power and sometimes people who don't have power. So yeah, again, it's very difficult because it's very much an individual thing for that that lifetime because what you've got to remember as well is that you with every lifetime with every lesson that you learn you have a knock-on effect not only with your own spiritual family and those incarnate on this side but also on the other side but also who they then interconnect with it's kind of like dropping that pebble into a pool of water and watching the ripples well initially those ripples would just create circles that get wider and wider and larger until they then interact with other obstacles like the bank or a plant that's growing in the pool and so on mm. so it's quite a profound answer to a profound question and um you mentioned the idea of the spiritual family a couple of times what are you exactly referring to when you say that? Is that like a like a, a group of consciousnesses that are related in some way, or? Um, yes, you. Everybody kind of likes the notion of um, a spiritual soulmate, but in effect, you don't just have one spiritual soulmate. You have many. You have many souls that you spend incarnations with it's kind of like that thing where you meet somebody for the first time and you think i'm sure i know who that is mm. or you feel very familiar with somebody um it can be in various forms sometimes you can be a husband sometimes you can be a wife sometimes you can be a, just a family friend and i'm sure many people um have experience where somebody who's totally not even related to you can end up being more like a sister or a brother than maybe your actual blood brother or sister. Um, For sure. You know, so, but these people, you will find that we are reincarnated many times over. And it's all to do with the spiritual evolution that when one member it's it's kind of like a big string of pearls sometimes you may have a hundred pearls on that string sometimes you may only have 10 but you find that the more you do whether you're spiritually incarnate down here or in spirit each time you evolve you kind of help bump your spiritual family up mm. So we're all kind of carrying each other along. Absolutely. But equally, we can be affected if somebody falls back. Yes. And that's where you kind of then have the, the network of, of friends where you can feel the fact that somebody is failing and obviously you would do whatever you can to help that individual to solve their problem. But that's where free will comes into it as well. That it's kind of like a candle burning at both ends. It's not that spirit ever give up on anybody. But it will 
it's it's like nature. There's only so much that you can use before it's all gone. So people who have committed really, really terrible crimes, you are destroying yourself and you will pull down your spiritual family. Not totally, obviously, but there reaches a point where that part has to be let go of. Mm. But then that is their free will. It does sound very hard, but it's not. It's just evolution, both forwards and backwards sometimes. It's just the way it is. We're back to that circle of infinity again. And and I'm assuming these things happen over a long, very long period of time, right? It's not not one. So, you know, I can remember certain lifetimes in which I did uh, very, not very um, uplifting things and mm. – than others where I where I did, and um, so yeah. you know, it feels like there's obviously mm. I didn't I didn't uh, didn't get cut off from no. <laughs> two lifetimes of, of no no it, it will be over many 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 lifetimes. There yeah. is no um, defining time factor. You can't say oh you know two million years, three million years, whatever. It will be over many incarnations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of more questions I'd like to get in before we wrap it up. So okay. the first one is, and this might be hard for you to talk about as well in human terms, as you said, but what is next in store for you in terms of evolution? So you, if you leave this physical body for the last time, mm-hmm. what happens? What happens then? <laughs> oh, um, mm. Okay, uh, best way to describe it really is, uh, it's funny with people, if you say to them that you will lose your identity, most people would be afraid because you've spent the past X number of incarnations making you, you. And to an extent, when you're incarnate down here, you are the sum total of all of your incarnations, of everything that you have learnt to this point in date. But to spiritually evolve to a point where you aren't afraid to lose your identity, you become so interacted with all the other souls that have reached the same point of evolution that although there is still a spark of you, you become mingled with them. So it's kind of like putting all of your experiences and all your energy into one big pot so that if an ultimate controller, for want of terminology, says, right, this needs to be done or that particular planet needs to be helped or that particular race of beings need to be helped, your energy, along with masses of others, will go and do that job. You, you see, people become afraid of death because they're afraid of stopping being themselves. But you reach a point where it doesn't matter because you are part of something that is so beautiful. It's like saying... Is a drop of water still a drop of water if it's in the ocean? 
if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the best way I can kind of describe it, that you are still a drop of water, but you are part of the ocean. You join an ocean of consciousness. Yes. Yep. I have to say, when I first came back um, this time round, that was something that I had not prepared myself for the feeling of, yeah, of isolation in this human format again, because I had been that drop in the ocean to then come back and be the drop again in a a human single identity felt very odd, very isolationary, if that makes sense. Mm. I feel that many people can relate to that sense in some, in some way, you know, that, that, that mm. sense of being cut off from something we can't quite remember anymore. Absolutely. But, yeah. Mm. Well, to end, I, I would like to ask whether you have any suggestions for us about how we best use our human life to accelerate our evolution and to, to rejoin that ocean. Um, there's a lot of people out there that can do some really good meditations and you yourself actually do a jolly good one, <laughs> which I actually did and, and actually enjoyed. So, I won't do anything like that because there are so many things already. But all I would say is to everybody, no matter what situation you're in, and obviously there's going to be all sorts of people, well, hopefully listening to this in various situations in their life. Before you act on something, stop and think. Emotions are a wonderful thing as long as you are the master of them. Don't let them master you. And one of the other main things is to, before you do anything to anyone else, ask yourself if you would like it to be done to you. If the answer comes back, no, then don't do it. (laughs) that's really where honesty comes into it (laughs) yeah yeah being honest with ourselves absolutely but also being honest with the the answer that you give Mm. and just try and every day as i've as i've said before be aware in our very very hectic busy lives that most of us live nowadays with technology as it is, which is a wonderful thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to be doing this. But also, just take the time. Even if you live in a a big built-up city, reconnect with nature in whatever way that is, even if it's just standing, looking up at the sky and watching the clouds, or having a pot plant on a window ledge, or if you're lucky enough to be able to actually go out and spend time in a country lane, reconnect with nature. And for those few split seconds, you can actually become that drop in the ocean again. Yes. Yes, I think that's lovely. It's very practical advice. And 
anybody can do it, really. Absolutely. Yep. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you have a disability or whatever situation you're in, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Linda, for coming and talking to me. You're very welcome. See you later. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. I really hope you got some value out of today's episode. If you did, why not leave a positive review on iTunes and share it with your friends to help others find it. The tune seeing us out is Axel Teslev's Akasha. Axel is a Finnish virtuoso who creates some awesome fusion music that is well worth checking out. You can find more information about today's guest, including any links to their work on my website, multidimensionalevolution.com. While you are there, check out my blog and my book, which you can purchase from any good bookstore if you want to show your love for the show. Finally, please get in touch. Whether you want to ask questions or simply share your experiences, I always love exchanging information, and that is what this is all about for me. Otherwise, you'll catch me when you tune in again. Until then, I'm sending you my very best energies.